So hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Fight Chat Friday from TKD Coach Academy. This week we're just about set to head off to the AETF European Championships and we're going to look ahead to that a little bit, looking at some of the proposals that are going forward by candidates for the AETF Board of Directors around the European Championships, the European Cup and the future of European competition. We're also going to have a look at some proposed rule changes for ITF that will affect all of us uh, in relation to the competition rules. So if you'd like to stay with us for this chat, it should be a good one. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fight Chat Friday. So yeah, a discussion topic for this episode. Um, so we're going to have a look at a couple of topics. So we're going to look at the frequency of euros. Mm -hmm. So right now it's once a year. So we'll have a look at that. We'll have a look at uh, potential ranking events for European events that happen in that season. So again, the frequency kind of will impact on that. So we'll have a chat through that. The role of the European Cup and also some potential changes for different categories and some potential changes for special and power so that's the plan yeah. today we only had a, a chat in our last episode about some ideas you had adrian in the sure. irish cup review for the yeah. irish cup or for the um, special technique and power changes so um, we'll maybe bring those up again for anybody who missed it in that last chat yeah i'm really excited to talk about some of those and you know there are some changes that people have been pushing for or asking for for quite a long time and there was stuff that was highlighted in the coaches survey last year that, you know, the tournament umpire and IT committees have looked to incorporate some of the feedback and some of their own ideas, of course, uh, into some a proposal for some new rules for the uh, World Championships, World Cup. But again, this stuff is very much at the, you know, the draft stage. It has to get through a few layers. But really just want to talk about the ideas behind some of the proposals. And again, you know, regardless of where they came from, how these things might affect, you know, our ITF tournament yeah. competition going forwards. But before jumping into that, maybe we'll have a look at a, a few of the things that have been proposed, um, not as immediate action things, but they're in the uh, the manifestos as such of some of the people going forward for the AETF board of directors. So full disclosure, I'm stepping forward uh, and, you know, I have the, the backing of the ITA board of directors here in Ireland to go forward for the AETF board um one of i think 12 candidates looking for six positions on the uh, as, as regular members of the board as well as two candidates for vice president two candidates for president so um on an eight person board but what's really interesting is when people put out their ideas and what they would like to see happening you know it gets really interesting to see well what direction could this go and one of the things that has come up um you know from a couple of people uh, is certainly this idea of the frequency of the european championships and as you said, Richie, every year it's been, it's a once a year event and it's really a big highlight of the year every year. So yeah. myself and I have to give credit to some other people as well who quite like the idea. Master Mayor has mentioned this as well. Um, the idea of moving the European Championships to an every second year idea. So okay. your thoughts, so pros and cons off the top of your idea. head. So coming from that, as I see it straight off the bat, I think okay it gives a little bit more of a, a structure to us in Europe because we have that every second year then worlds euros worlds euros yeah there's a double um, peak I, 
I do think that it is a major advantage that we have in Europe having such a big event like the European mm-hmm. Championships when we go to world events. So there's that side of it. Then you've also got the idea of most of the time the European Cup is almost like a, a second tier event and it's not something people focus on. Now yeah. I know a lot has to do with that with the time of year as well. It's usually at a, a time where people aren't in their peak of their training sometimes in the summer sometimes it's kind of just at that stage when we're just back to training so that has an impact for sure but yeah i think that the the idea is um is strong if you're going looking at it as to increase other events so what, what's the kind of the, the premise behind all this from your point of view yeah so it's something that we can talk about and we have a few other kind of headlines as we go through this and like for me it's a proposal that can't be taken as a solo proposal so just changing the european championships to every second year there's a few reasons why i don't think that would work for the aetf uh just as a solo proposal number one the aetf i think gets most of its revenue from the the european championships itself the european cup would be a secondary one but typically a much lesser one and then the membership of the countries themselves so every year there'd be a, a membership fee paid by the countries um the reason to move the European Championships to every second year from a, a competitive calendar point of view is that there's a there's a need to peak for the European Championships and need to peak for the World Championships. These are often, um, you know, they're the pin- pinnacle events for national teams and they're also the biggest investment of funding for an awful lot of national associations and, you know, and even in terms of countries that get direct government support or funding, it's the European and World Championships that they get the funding for. So a reason to move to every second year is you can have a peak event for the national team every single year, but it's not two in one year, one in the next. And in terms of, you know, budget allocation, funding and all the rest of it, it's a little more streamlined to manage that. And I think what you'd see is you'd see, uh, you know, the same strength of teams year on year for both, where what we've always found in Ireland is you have, you know, a double year and one of the two tournaments suffers. And then you have a European Championships only year and as long as we don't have too many athletes doing state exams, it usually is a very big team and it's very busy. So we have these highs and lows of the national team as you're trying to struggle to get people to peak multiple times for, uh, and, and then also it's the, the financial outlay. Because while we were talking earlier about organizationally, like you've experienced this as a competitor, so have I, where, okay, well, you need to find 14 or 1500 euros for this campaign and now you have to find it again later in the year for the next campaign as well as trying to get to other international opens and so on. So in a double year, it can get very, very costly. Okay, yeah. But that's Wait, what? Th- that's the first part of it. Um, when That's what I was just going to say. What What is your mm. kind of like um, double whammy here with this idea? So that's where we get into the role of the European Cup. And again, a couple of people have looked at how do we go about strengthening the European Cup because it's, it's one that's kind of it's a great idea we've been attending since brighton in i want to say 2005 well it was brighton and uh you know the first one was a bit of a slow starter there was a again a very slow one in in tampa in finland after that you've had some big ones like poland and russia where the home nations were able to support them in full but they the struggle that the european cup has is it's trying to fit into a busy calendar often in the same year like next year where there's a European Championships, a European Cup and a World Cup all in the same year within six months. And that's a real ask for people to be able to support in full. Now, mm-hmm. notionally, it's different people 
you know, who are going to be the competitors. I think the problem is that it's the same coaches and the same umpires who need to be making all these trips. So I think that's a big challenge. And I think if you refocus on having a European Cup in a World Championships year and a European Championships in a World Cup year, if we if we line it that way, you've got two big championships every year then. And I mean really big. I think the European Cup could be looking at 2,000 competitors, honestly, if it was sitting on its own in a fixed space in the calendar that could, people could plan around years in advance. Like, I do think you could get to a point where the likes of Ireland could be sending 150 and 200 people to a European Cup on a regular basis if they knew that was going to sit in this spot in the calendar every second year. Um, because we've certainly seen it with the World Cups. You know, in a European-based okay. World Cup, Ireland have 150 to 200 people. You know, that's yeah. that's been what we've sent. So I think we could get towards that, you know, kind of thing again. And I think that would be very similar in other countries. Um, but in doing that, you have was a one spring, one autumn or, you know, that kind of uh, season and a major championships every year. And I think a European Cup with, let's even say, a thousand competitors in it um, is going to be far more uh, viable for the host, the person who's going to step forward and organize this thing rather than taking a chance as they are in Italy next year, trying to find a space and find the people who are going mm -hmm. to come and support them in between European Championships and a, a World Cup. It's like it's, it's a tough ask. So I think it gives more confidence to the organiser of the event. We'd have more people looking to host that uh, European Cup. And I think as well, the European Championships would get a slight uptick by not being as pressured. So I think you'd see those bigger teams. And I mean, even five or six more competitors per team, when you're looking at 30 teams, you know, brings the European Championships from, okay, I think we have 575 this year with a few major teams missing or, or, or reduced strength with COVID. Normally we'd be looking at 750 to 800. We could be looking at 850, 900 and with potentially with new rules and, and, and a sub-junior category, over a thousand competitors at a European Championships, over a thousand competitors at the European Cup. And I think the revenue would balance itself out quite well in that respect as well. Yeah, that's an important factor, isn't it? Because obviously there's going to be a hit from the Euros if it's every second year. But if then you're upping the European Cup and yeah. making that a bigger event, then you should see a return there. And I, Do you think that that's one of the reasons that the World Cup is such a bigger event in general? Because it's every second year with the World Championships. I think that massively helps. And you also have to remember just in, like within some countries how much of a task it is to go about getting selected for the national team, making squad training sessions and so on. Like, I mean, if we think of a Canada, like Canada do a, do a great job of sending a large team to the World Championships every second year. But it's a big ask to coordinate that selection process and everything. Um, whereas for the World Cup, the instructors decide they're going to enter their club and then they go. There's no burden. It's, it's really straightforward. You know, you fundraise, you do whatever you do, and you get your athletes to the World Cup. It's not that uh, that onerous a, an organizational task. But we certainly see that in Ireland, where clubs that don't, you know, might only have one competitor engaging at the national team level might send seven or eight competitors to a World Cup because it's a club-building experience. That's what it's there for. And I think the European Cup can have that same thing. And, and that's where I think the European Cup and the European Championships fill a very different role. So what, we're basic, what I would ba be saying myself is, let's have a major club event once a year and a major national team event once a year for Europe. And then okay. the following year, you've got a major club event and a major national team event. So from a development point of view, we can have almost like a squad that we're hoping would be the national team in a year or two who can go to a European Cup that's on a hugely, like uh, on a really high level, organizationally and standard of competitor wise, 
and can go to a World Cup on the other year. Um, you know, it might be more of an expense, uh, especially if it's outside of Europe, but they can target it. You know, it, it can be something that a development squad can do. And I know the likes of Norway would have four regional development squads. I know the same kind of thing exists in other countries where if you have a squad that exists just below your national team that you can support and resource and get to these major, you know, European or world events, like it's a great way to stepping stone people through and keep them really active at a very high level of competition. And then you've got the people who, uh, like for me, I'm thinking in terms of what about our veterans, you know, because the veterans, you know, really, it, it, they can slot into the European Cup. But if it's very pressured in terms of where it's where it fits, maybe the veteran categories could be bigger if the European Cup got more of a highlight, more space. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for our for the veterans to kind of step out and get on the floor. And it's a lot of instructors kind of just step back on the floor for their, you know, come on we'll give it a go kind of a thing um so i think i think there's potential there as well but yeah. uh yeah it, it does make sense especially because i was thinking of maybe the people who are looking to make that step through maybe yeah. people are going from junior to senior and that that cup experience is massive because obviously there's only a certain amount of selections on european squad um for the championships so people who are looking to make that transition as well it is an important event and you want to be testing yourself against those people that are going to be there to stake your claim. Mm. So, uh, yeah, a lot of time we, we don't see some of the, the top names and the, the top people in the divisions at the European Cup. So I, I think it, it is something that needs to be addressed to kind of improve it. Um, and yeah, off the top of my head, I think it's a fantastic idea. And I, there's the downside doesn't seem to be that obvious and that glaring to uh, when you think about it. But well, it, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some ideas that will prop up. There, there are definitely some downsides that'll emerge. So, I mean, there's even just from the point of view of, you know, the European Championships is at a particular level of organization every year and your national team, as you said right at the beginning, has that opportunity to participate in an event that is at a particular level of organization and challenge and it includes the team events, includes special and power. I mean, that's one of the things that maybe you miss by not having a Euros every year, that you don't get out as a team to perform team pattern uh, or, or to, to spar as a team. You might miss out on those special power prearranged because they're not in the, the more local events. So yeah. there's potentially something there. And that's where, you know, you'd have to look at the European Cup filling some of a gap there. But I think that's that's definitely one of the potential downsides. Like you just have to acknowledge that any change that you would make has some potential downsides to it. Um, mm. But from that point of view, one of the other proposals we had was the idea of um, ranking events. And the idea of the ranking events is, well, again, all taken into consideration, if you have a European Championships now every second year, the rankings that you have from the previous European Championships become less relevant. So in the same way as the World, Cup, World Championship rankings, they, they so rarely come into effect. Because two even like years the Euros after this year, that's on next week. Exactly, because it's been two years since the last Euros. The rankings yeah. are almost irrelevant because you're looking at the first and second, or you know maybe in the future for a second, third from previous events being ranked. If the event was six months or a year ago, fair enough. And actually, there's another argument for the every second year European Championships because we often have them six months apart because the World Championships move season. Yeah. Nightmare, but. The, uh, the the goal would be that, you know, if you have a ranking from the European Championships, yes, that contributes going forward, but that you'd have a number of other events, including the European Cup, that would contribute to your ranking as you go along. So your seeding then when you arrive at the next European Championships isn't only determined by the first place or second place in the last one, but how you've 
uh, participated in other events along the way. And this is really important, I think, as well for breakthrough competitors. So, yeah. you know, yeah, you could be the unlucky one who spars the, the number one seed. But if you're ranking, you're like, it's likely yeah. that the ones who are well-placed and likely to beat the number one seed or the number two seed don't face them in the first round. So, yeah. you know. And that's always an issue, isn't it? Like, it is. we see, I see it this year, uh, in particular with the minus 62, 62 euros. Female. Yeah. There's one side of that division that is absolutely stacked. Yeah, um, for sure. And a lot of previous medalists are all on one side. So I think that, that is something that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, that is a good idea. And of course, it's going to help as well with national team selection because for some countries, the, the national team selection is something that is very, very competitive. Yeah, so it will sure. also help to kind of stabilize that, get people out there competing more. Um, but in terms of the idea of how it will work, mm. are you thinking at a select number of events, yeah. um, certain events that would be ranked? Are you thinking things like the, the Open Dutch and maybe the, the Roma Open and things like that? Well, straight up, the first thing I would be thinking is that in order to be ranked, it would have to run at a European Championship standard of... So in other words, it would have to run the full ITF rules for sparring. In other words, the two-by-two-minute okay. two rounds. One two-minute round, mishmashed, you know, different things couldn't apply for a ranking event. Now, you might yeah. allow for double elimination or repechage or something like that if you felt that was a good thing to go. But there should be a full pyramid that gets to the final. So, in other words, you should definitely have those full, uh, full match experience. So, not based on a three-minute round, a two-minute pool. Um, it should You should be ranked based on the competition that you're going to be competing in. Yeah. So, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is uh, you you would need to have it, you know, on sport data and electronically scored, for example. So, you know, you want to make sure that there's no, um, uh, oh, we think so-and-so won that division. Or, you know, everything would have to be through the attract ranking system. Automated, yeah. Automated and online. So that that's, you know, a second portion of it. Um, I think as well, you know, and that applies obviously for pattern as well. We would be looking for the two designated pattern for black belt rather than say one designated or one optional pattern, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that the really important thing with that is that you would need to have a contract with the, you know, between the AETF and the host of the tournaments. There may well be a beneficial financial relation uh, relationship in there as well in that it may be that it's a licensed event. It may be that there's a cost per participant that goes to the ATF or whatever it happens to be for the ranking. But there should be a, a benefit each way because, of course, if it's a known ranking event, it should attract the competitors who want to compete at the European Championships and it should strengthen the black belt divisions. So you'd be hoping to see some degree of reciprocity there. But you wouldn't want to necessarily have 12 ranking events a year. It might be that there's four or something like that. And then the ranking might be based on your best four or five across the period. So you don't, it's not saying to people that you have to be at eight or 10 events over two years. It might be saying, look, you, it's your best four over the period and it includes the European Cup or something along those lines. So you might have- Would you be looking at- would you be looking at European Cup and European Championships being as higher kind of mm -hmm. ranking points yeah. or equal? No, I think they'd have to be higher. Like, I mean, in, in the end, the, the, the most significant performance that you would have over the period would have to be the European Championships before. So if you're coming out as a gold, silver, bronze medalist from the European Championships, that has to carry more weight than winning, let's call it the Open Dutch, and the Open Dutch is in a different format, but let's say it's the Open Dutch. It has to carry more weight than that. You know, it yeah. just has to. Um, 
but the the idea being of course that the ranking influences your seeding into the next european championships so it's just giving enough of an incentive to people it's like everyone wants to go and compete anyway it's just where do you compete how because like, as a competitor and as a coach trying to pick events for your, your competitors you're trying to pick events where you don't go into the preparation and all the rest of it and then arrive there and oh your yeah. weight division doesn't exist you're being bumped to this weight division there's only three people in it and one of them you know isn't great you know that's not really what you're looking for when you you know or you arrive there and it's like oh but you're in a, a seven by seven meter ring we're sparring a two minute round in a pool um we're calling you out johan okay that was uh <laughs> we knew what we were getting into but the uh this is a running joke myself johan and tim cool so uh like the 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 thing is there are people who love doing seven by seven rings in their championships that's okay as long as you know what you're getting into but what i would be suggesting is if it's for a ranking event it has to have the full size ring it has to have the normal scoring it has to have the normal times and rounds otherwise it's not actually the same sport would be my contention yeah. you know yeah no, I have to agree. Um, but it was like that for a long time as well. I know some of the rules were different, but the, there was almost a unwritten rule that, okay, before the Euros or the Worlds or a big event, let's all gather at the Viking Cup and, and yeah. get ready and yes. test ourselves. And I know Poland used it as a, a selection tournament for a long time and some other countries. It certainly so. had weight and selection, yeah. Yeah, so like things like that, if we could get that together, I think that was brilliant for um, the competition in ITF and getting everybody together Um more than once a year and yes. testing your skills and i think it increases like a rising tide lifts all boats and that, that's the idea here it should increase the level across the board and be being very selfish from a european point of view it's saying well if we want to stand out against what the rest of the world has to offer we need to be able to you know coordinate and organize our best to sharpen off of each other all year round to ensure that you know our teams are as strong as they possibly can be uh you know going into the the world championships and world cup and i think that is something that potentially allows us to do that i think this actually as well will um increase the level of the tournaments because now organizers will want to be involved in those tournaments and they'll they'll push the organization and and make the the venue a little more representative to what it's like at a European Cup or mm -hmm. like we've seen it for example at our own Irish Cup this year the, the facility and the setup was fantastic and we've seen that in our last video we did on Fight Chat Friday but I think that will push people to as an incentive to take those extra steps to push it on which is great for the sport as well as a as a spectacle but exactly that and, and as we've been talking about once you've got the overall presentation looking good your coordination, your timing, your organizational skills are better. It makes for a better event for live streaming, for tying in that element of it, the presentation of maybe, you know, the, all the finals get live streamed from each of these events or something along those lines, where maybe all of the finals go to a particular center square or whatever, which is live streamed. So everybody around, you know, uh, Europe, around the world can actually see the events and it looks good and it's got all of the fighters highlighted and with the ranking and, you know, the more data like that, the more we can ha create a spectator experience and a supporter experience out of it as well. Because letting the people go out there and feature and highlight themselves at tournament after tournament will let them build a name at home. It lets them expose their sponsors. And, it, you know, we're, we're hoping that, it, you know, it has that kind of effect. And then if you have a Grand Prix series, series, potentially you can generate sponsors for the Grand Prix series as well. That works in terms of the host and the, uh, the AETF, where they're getting their branding in the live streaming in the you know in the setup of the arenas and venues and, you know you're, and it's not just once every second year or once a year but it's on you know four or five events a year 
Um, yeah. So I think that adds better exposure to uh, potential sponsors as well. Are you looking at this Grand Prix as being uh, a championship win in itself? Or is it just with a focus to ranking points for Euros? As in, if you win most of the events in the Grand Prix, do you then get some sort of a, a championship title because of that? Or is it just se- separately yeah, effectively, they get ranking points? Effectively, it, c- it can run parallel as a league. So it might yeah. be a two-year league or you know, it could be a, a, you know, on that basis where you know you have your best four or five results so maybe you discount the euros and the Euro- european cup from that placing so they go into your ranking points but if you have your your grand prix ranking uh and at the end of every two-year period there's an award for you know as you said the uh your grand prix finish or whatever it happens to be um i think that gets quite interesting and then there's the also the question of does it overlap so you know, in other words, so you have this two-year period, but then you have the next two-year period, which overlaps, so that effectively every year you're crowning a, you know, a Grand Prix winner, but the um, uh, but based on the, the the previous two years of ranking events. So, okay. like a big thing for logistically me logistically as well, that might be a bit tricky, but uh, it's only tracking it online. But the, 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 for me, the the issue is just that I wouldn't want to create a Grand Prix series where it's it kind of telling people, look you have to be able to afford all of these trips or, or it's a pay to play so we're not i wouldn't be interested in the kind of a pay to play kind of thing like a person should be able to let's say go to two events a year um or one event one year two events the other year as well as the european cup and european championships and get a ranking uh that's mm-hmm. you know that's solid but if it suits you and if you're really competitive and you want to travel and you want to get to two and three events a year it should be a point where there's a diminishing return either where it's like okay i did all four events and i was just able to pay more and travel more that shouldn't result in you automatically winning because you've more points than everybody yeah it should yeah. be based off of your best x number of events you know so that would yeah be the... i think i think using it as the ranking points is, is is definitely the way to go with it yeah um but then the question is do you think that leads to a pathway of linking into world championships as in rankings from europeans affecting worlds Potentially, or you extend the the Grand Prix system worldwide, and you basically have, uh, you know, uh, not just the European events, but as you set a classification of event or requirements for event, whether it's number of competitors, you know, the the setup of the event, obviously, and the, the running according to ITF rules, uh, and you basically have a licensing agreement with you know each of the uh, the events that run it or the countries that run it, in order to. But you, you'd want to be quite careful. You don't necessarily want to have, you know, a, a European Grand Prix and simultaneously and on top of that, a World Grand Prix. You know, it, it, you have to be a bit careful with that. There's only so many tournaments that people can attend. Um, and again, you have the issue. They're not going to be peak events. Like people are still going to have to use those as preparation events for the big events as well, like for the European Championships, the World Championships. So there's a, there's a balance in it. Yeah, it's a good idea. Definitely moving forward on the right track. So jumping on from there, looking at, you know, a few things that are potentially coming down the line in terms of rule changes. And again, while a lot of these ideas, you know, may well have originated with individuals in different countries were advanced through the various channels and questionnaires and surveys that were done uh, by the the coaches committee, the athletes committee, the non-part committee at various events. However, they've come to be as ideas. It's well worth discussing what this might mean for us. So. The proposal has come forward around adding an additional weight category to each of the um, the divisions. So, and that's particularly within sparring. Obviously, that it, it doesn't 
go into patterns. But what do you think of the idea of having an extra weight category? And for the point purpose of discussing this, we're not talking about necessarily going much beyond in the hyperweight. It's not adding to the, the number of categories at the top end. This is really more subdividing and con uh, adding uh, or reducing the gaps between the weight categories uh, as they currently stand. Lower and upper end staying more or less the same. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, and I think that idea of the lower and upper end is an important discussion point because mm. on one hand, you have Euros next week, for example, where those divisions are probably the lightest. And for example, the senior female hyperweight doesn't have any competitors. Yeah. So that's one issue. And then the second issue is like, for example, currently at plus 85, like most of the bigger guys will be in around that 80 mark. So you kind of have them around the 80 to 85 up towards the 90 mark but then you have guys who are like 100 plus who are literally natural hyperweights so that in itself is a bit of an issue as well so um i think that's something that has to be looked at and getting the balance right because you don't want a division that has only like five competitors at the european championships but then at the same time you want them to be able to balance out in terms of and the difference in competitors when you look at the other divisions mm. if there's only like i don't know five kilos six kilos between all the other divisions and then you have somebody who's 90 kilos having to compete against somebody who's 120. Yeah. You know, there, there is a talking point there for sure. Um, but in terms of the, the idea of including another one, I think it's very good because it will allow people to not focus so much on big drastic weight cuts. And I think for our sport, weight is not as important as people think. Now, I know mm. I just made a comment of 90 to 120, but that is a big, big difference. Yeah. But when yeah. we're talking um, like, I don't know, maybe like 75 kilos to 80 kilos. That's not a big difference. And then people are making big, huge cuts to come down and maybe skip a division in times. So I think that it allows people to get more people into divisions as well. Sometimes people are making big weight cuts to avoid teammates. Yeah, yeah. But then sure. having an extra vision, you get extra people in the divisions from your country, etc. So I think overall it, it's, a, it's a positive step, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the things that often happens with uh, because it's an individual sport. And we we actually see this across a lot of individual sports. Uh, certainly in Ireland, I'm sure it happens worldwide. If there's only a certain pool who are really, really eligible for selection at a particular weight class, either someone moves up or they just stop trying, you know, or they move down or they stop trying, and that's that's yeah. something that you can lose a lot of people out of competition simply because there isn't a spot for them to go to. Um. And, and so we always find this weird cash 22 where it's like it would be really healthy for the sport if we had let's say eight people competing for the minus 78 slot in ireland so then the two that you actually select are definitely the best two of the the, the eight that you send but what happens is maybe one year you get eight and the following year you have six and the following year you have four and you know if there isn't any changeover that drop-off happens even quicker so it might be the first tournament you have eight, the next tournament in the same year you have six, and the next tournament you have four, and the following year there's two or three people who turn up every time and the category ends up being merged yeah. with the next one above. So, you know, that's not ideal. So it is one of those things where it can be quite challenging to strike the balance right, but in terms of preserving the overall number competing at a senior level, I think in particular at senior level, it's great to have that extra uh, category. And I, I massively agree with you in terms of the weight cost. Like if it was a smaller weight jump when you're deciding you're going up a category, you might do it a year earlier rather than making that last drastic weight yeah. cut to get down to your familiar category before you go up. Um, and even on the, but I do think on the plus side, it's hard to know whether 
if you had a, a heavier plus division like so let's say at the males let's say it's 85 and you have also a 92 or something um would that encourage more people to enter both divisions the 92 and the plus 92 or would it mean that you had just split the existing pool into two smaller pools it's, it's hard to know what would happen and what would happen That's if you stuck with it long term because you know again we ha when the ITF went from five to six weight categories in each of the divisions, none of them really got smaller. You know, more people ca uh, came along to the tournaments. The tournaments got bigger, and actually the divisions got bigger uh, as well. Generally speaking, across the across the board, the divisions got bigger. This would be a very interesting stepping stone experiment to see. Look, if we have seven divisions, does the tournament get you know eighteen uh, percent bigger as we add that extra division in there? Um, you know, and do all of the divisions get smaller or actually do all the divisions stay the same size and potentially grow as, you know, the the, the bigger biases are taken out? You know, you'll often see it like um, particularly in the males, like, you know, uh, 57s reluctant to go to 63 or 63 to 70 in particular, where the height difference or the height advantage height is important, you know, can can be a big thing. But like those super tall people don't last in the 63s or 70. They tend to move up. But, you know, there's a new one every year coming through from junior and they just haven't grown into themselves yet. And all of a sudden you've got this six foot two, six foot three, 63 kilo fighter who can be quite challenging. But then a year later, they're 70 and a year later, they're 78. You know, it's it's that kind yeah. of thing. We should go on to hip height and then have a, a light and heavy division. So yeah, yeah, hip yeah. height rather. And then I, I wouldn't be out with all the big guys all the time. That would be great. The inseam. Big long legs. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think... Um, if you look at the the gap between let's take senior males for example what's what's your ideal gap in terms of kilo are you looking at like five kilo six kilo that kind yeah. of range yeah very much that i mean like i i think that's kind of about right um you know if we think of uh you know that five six kilo mark i think it's enough that like let, let's just say you were 63 kilos and you find yourself walking around three months after competition and you're training, you're training well, but you're weighing 69, 70 kilos. A seven kilo drop to 63 is, you know, that that's a considered bit of work. Like, you yeah. you know, and most of the 63s will do that. That's kind of what they're going to do over over time. They're going to work their way down. Their body weight as well, you see, because they're smaller people. Yeah, yeah, it's a bigger percentage of body weight for sure. Um, but if they could go to, let's say, um, in instead of going from 63 to 70, if they could go from 63 to 67, well that's something to you know you definitely consider because that's a big it's a big gene or 68 whatever it happens to be like even one kilo of a difference would make a difference there but uh but i think there's a it, it just changes the decision point um and in particular like from a national team perspective i think mostly most of us would go look you can drop a division but you can't drop two is a very simple yeah. thing to state and that would have a massive impact on people's general health and the mentality around weight you know it's just like look you turn up the squad training session you can drop one division from there you can't drop two and like obviously there's a lot more to it than that we can really look into people's you know body composition you know where they're at the whole lot of it but as a very simple thing from anything you know those weights up a five kilo drop is 10% of body weight for, you know, at the worst, it's probably less. And, you know, straight away you're ruling out people doing these like, 
you know, um, 68, 69 down to 57 kind of drops. You know, that's just mm. like, no, 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 you're not doing that. You, you're bypassing 63 and you're bypassing 69, for example. It's like, no, you're not doing that. Um, I think yeah. that would be good. The, the next thing then that comes to mind is we, we kind of touched on the the heavier end of the, the scale, but would mm. you be looking to include that extra division somewhere to balance out the most common weight in each division? For example, most senior males probably hovering between the 70 to 80 kilo mark um, on mm. average for like our global population. So yeah. would you be kind of looking to split that kind of side of it up more and expand either side? Well, there is that thing, isn't it? That like realistically, you know, uh, human heights and weights exist on a bell curve. Like there's going to be extremes on the low and high side and that's influenced yeah. by um, as such uh, ethnicity, geography, all that kind of thing. So you will see different averages depending on the population. But um, like, is it worth having some closer weight divisions around the middle and a little bit of a bigger spread at the end? Potentially, it's a little bit more worrying on the light end than the heavy end. But mm -hmm there is a case to be made for maybe not having the splits as uniform. So like you might go from 57 to 63 to 69 to like 74 to 78, 79 to 84, you know, you might have like four or five kilo gaps Back in the up. middle. Uh, honestly, like that, that was numbers off the top of my head, but it was basically the idea that look, <laughs> you've got six kilos maybe in the first two and then it drops to five or yeah. four for two or three. And then it might increase to six or seven or eight again at the tail end. Um, and that might just kind of allow for the fact that while there's a bell curve, the bell curve isn't like completely stacked in the middle. It's not exactly yeah. right. So you're not going to go far on the light end. Like you're not going to have people so ridiculous. All, all those guys wandering around there at 45 kilos at such a disadvantage. Like those people more or less statistically don't exist versus all those guys walking around at 100 kilos. Like they're just microweights in powerlifting. Like the, those people yeah. exist, you know, they're out there. They're like we're a rugby team. Like the, uh, the reality is that like most of them are going to be 90 kilos plus, like the whole team is. They all exist mm. on our extreme end of the bell curve. It's just that for Taekwondo, we kind of fall a bit closer to the normal human population kind of averages where 75 kilos is kind of taken as the, um, the elevator weight of a, a human being kind of thing. So it's like, uh, I, I do think there would be something to said for that with an uneven weight distribution across the whole thing to allow for a bit more of a, a like a finer graduation of weight in the middle and a maybe a chunkier graduation at the end. I think that's that's a, well, a, a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's also the potential for uh, a small change in terms of the well, small but very significant change in terms of the age categories. Because it's been put forward for, for ages and ages with very good reason that like if you can be in a tournament at 14 and you can still be junior at 18 that is effectively almost a five-year age gap which yeah. for junior is enormous and it doesn't matter as much if you're a 45 kilo female or a 50 kilo male because you probably won't have many 17 and 18 year old 50 kilo males mm -hmm. but it matters an awful lot if you are like let's take my son Ryan who's 70 kilos and uh, 15 right and six foot two but the the thing is like if he goes into his first championships at 15 years of age and he's let's say by then 74 75 kilos or something and he's in minus 75 most of those guys are 17 and 18 they have a couple of years of experience and like physical mass and you know they're built a bit differently so there's always been a little bit of an issue around that. And so 
lots of proposals were put forward around how you might change the age groups and it gets a little bit more complicated when you can't use the day of the competition so much um, because it's that changes it's not in a fixed date every year so because the date of the competition moves you kind of have to use the year of the competition and the year of birth so the idea is effectively that you would have like um, uh, 12 13 14 and 15 16 17 as the junior bracket so two separate brackets of ages and when you look at how that would work out in reality it's probably much more like 13 14 15 and 16 17 18 in terms of the qualifying ages but it's two three-year bands um that's pretty impactful mm, yeah i think well, first thing that comes to mind is if you're going to use that then um the, your idea of the cups will probably interlink with it much better mm. because you have that interplay there where uh, is it same for there's an under 14 at the cup yeah 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 um but then as well at the same time um does it give people the opportunity to go around potentially as 12 years old saying they're world champion maybe that's not the yeah, best it thing does. either but it does uh, uh, i wouldn't be a huge fan <laughs> of that either see yeah. I, and again the first question jumps to mind as well like in ireland it's different in every country you can't get a black belt with us until you're 13. yeah and 13 exactly. is almost rare like most of them are 13 and a half 14 at the minimum so they might qualify for a year in that younger division we will not have any second degrees unless mm -hmm. someone graded black belt at 13 and was pushed hard to go for second degree at 15 but yeah. still because of the entry requirements qualified as under 14. yeah because like you can see the, the patterns division that's proposed there's even first second and third degree for that 12 to 14. yeah like that's that's another reason like you probably have one person in that division like usually that will seem alien to us poland don't have that scandinavia don't have that like uh there are a lot of countries where it's like well we just won't be in there and yeah. that will affect the placings of the overall countries look it's just a thing mm. um i think it was needed but i don't know that it was needed here my, my personal take on that one was um you know i i absolutely think there should be a split there but potentially the split was to go 15 to 17 go to the european and world championships and the other ones are filtered out to the cup i don't think they need to be in the the european and world championships um but okay. you keep the three people per category and so on and adding the extra weight divisions and all that kind of thing would actually balance the number of people i don't think you'd lose out too much by taking out the 14 year olds so if mm. you were to take out the 14 yeah, it, year olds say again it is a tricky one because like people do get a lot of valuable experience then as well they do when they're younger and that like, has to example, be replaced elsewhere own, yeah from my own personal experience uh first euros at 14 last first round second euro same thing and then as i was 17 hitting 18 i won mm. the whole division straight off so i think that that has a lot to do with it as well that development and that experience you gain is very very important um and if that is the case then you probably will have to prioritize the likes of the the cups way more get now, that let's say this goes through and this is the, the the change cool okay we have some things to think about some of the concerns that you know in particular that i would have is like and i think might actually be alleviated by our organizational differences in ireland like i think even when you start at 14 competition fatigue is real like True. by 24 you could have 10 european championships five world championships and five world cups as well as i don't know how many european cups depending on how they were organized um like even if you only did the major championships you've got 15 championship campaigns done 
by the time you're 24. Like that brings with it a certain amount of, can I do this another year? Or do I want to do this another year? You know? I think more people are actually um, maybe retiring, if that's the correct word, at, at that late 20s now. Mm. If you take World Championships 2019 in Germany, most of the people who won those divisions were under Early the age 20s. of 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there wasn't that many people who were in the, the uh, maybe 30 range. Where when I, I only seen a picture recently on Facebook of a, a Polish team who was tagged from years ago, and I was like, yeah, a lot I of know those guys were solid men, and they were kind of like in their late 20s, yeah. you know, well developed. Where now you see a lot of younger guys. Um, so that is an interesting take, which is something that has been different in the in recent years, and I think it's probably going to follow that trend as well. So that is something yeah. to uh, to note, I suppose, for if you want to have that. I think it just throws us back, throws back on us as national teams and like na and nations in general in terms of how you organise. Like, what way would you play that? You know, how do you how do you work with that? And you know, as I said, there's there's a there's a consideration where yes, getting experience early can be quite good, but mm. you know where you get that experience, how much expense cost time investment is required to get that experience also becomes a thing you're like it may create the worry that well if you don't get in there at 13 14 years of age by the time it goes to sparring at 15 years of age or whatever it happens to be at the pre-junior level uh or at the junior level but there's people who've had two european championships already or three european championships already behind yeah. you now where it might have less of an impact is if the european championships is every second year because you would probably only have one campaign in pre-junior and one campaign or two campaigns in junior yeah. before going to see. So the number of European Championship campaigns that each person has might be a little bit less. But again, you might have had a World Championships in between, you know. So yes, there's a great experience and we know how powerful that experience can be, in particular with the juniors gaining confidence in the environment. Um, I think there's a huge role to be played in the Cups. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm torn on it. I, like because for me we need to not have that huge 14 to 18 split I, I don't think that's great i think even taking the 14 year olds out of that would be massive however i don't know if i want to have that younger split of mm -hmm. let's have three whole years of people who could be as young as 12 going to european championships and the world championships um i think there's a big uh, question in there but what do, you, what do you think of the idea of maybe like an under 20 division an under 20, under 21, something along those lines, I think would have been a good call for a European Cup, World Cup. I don't think it's needed necessarily but for the reason that you just stated, like how many of the younger people are actually winning Euros and Worlds. Yeah. But I think at a European Cup or World Cup level, I think it could be quite good. And the reason I think that is we are eliminating so many people when they go to senior or whatever. Uh, you know, it very quickly, uh, the, the pool of competitors within the country narrows down to the ones who are selected or likely to be selected. And, you know, the competition narrows quite quickly. And then after a number of years, life takes its course and those people are like weeded out and you're struggling. You're looking all the time to the new juniors to fill the team. Um, whereas I think an under 21 side of things would allow people who've come through from junior who don't immediately break through to have a, you know, a focus uh, in terms of major international competition um, I think that would be a very interesting one to have at a European Cup or a World Cup level. 
the prestige then is a is a factor, isn't it? It's like people who mm. maybe twenty years old and they're winning that division, they're thinking, okay, I actually feel that I could take the senior division as well. So yeah, it's that kind of a thing as well, isn't it? It's like do, I, do I don't think you could do divisions? it. In the, I think yeah, if you so did it within the same championships, it doesn't work quite so well. Like I think yeah. where it's worked well in Ireland is we have that fourteen and fifteen years black belt division for development, and it allows people to opt out of national selection to go into a developmental pool and it, it works both ways. So you're not in the shark tank, right? You're, you're taking yourself out of the shark tank to give yourself a good level of competition that's more appropriate to where you're at. And I think that's where it might work at an under 21 level. It's like, well, hey, if you think you can take out that whole senior black belt division, go for it, you know, get mm -hmm. in there. But if you, like, if we take it, for example, there's 140 people who enter the minus 70 senior male black belt sparring at a World Cup, right? How many of those 140 seriously think they can win that division? Yeah. What you might end up with is something like 60 people go into that division and the other 80 go, or let's say, bad example, because there's probably only like 20 or 30 of them who are under 21. Um, you know, but let's say of those under 21s, there's X amount of them who go, well, I'm not going to win that division. And then they jump into the other one. I think that's where it has some validity. They might not be huge divisions simply because people move through those age groups quicker. But equally, if those divisions existed, perhaps people who were in that age category were so, all right, I'll tackle that. I'll give that a go. Mm. But yeah, I like that suggestion. Yeah, it might be something to look at. Um, I know there's some suggestions as well on the spec tech and power side of things. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of special technique and power, there's a few people, and I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy, Brendan Dugan. He's been very vocal among the people who've been looking for this. But um, trying to have the, the number of techniques for male and female uh, standardized at five. So in other words... I no reason so. why the females can't do the same jumps as the men there's no like yeah the heights or their number of boards might differ but the ability to deliver the technique you know is is there so uh, yeah i've never heard a female uh, being happy about that they no. say, oh we get to do a few less it's always uh, how come we can't do what the what the guys are doing so i think that's a good or even idea. just asking the question why do the guys do more than we do and the yeah. as an instructor you go uh, <laughs> and, and I mean it's always been a trick because like for, for me I don't stop my classes and go okay girls sit down we're going to continue to the boys techniques now like that's never a thing that has ever happened so it's a case of okay we're doing jumping reverse turn and kick now everybody does jumping reverse turn and kick because yeah, of course why not um, equally when it comes to the you know the, the grading syllabus and we're, we're looking at board breaking or whatever uh, it's like well the girls are going to punch a board like we just had a competition for our juniors last night. We had 30 uh, juniors do breaking special technique and pattern and they all broke all of the techniques. It's like now, not five, because these are six, seven and eight year olds, but they did three techniques for power and they did two techniques for special technique. And nice. it, it was also mixed, like it was male, female, but it wasn't direct elimination, but we can go into that another day. But the point of it was, yeah, there was no question around you're a boy, you're a girl, so you go to that line, you go to this line. It was just a case of, well, look, let's see what you can do. Um, and really, that was the point of it, and they had a great time. But in this case, uh, there's, there's, there's one other change, which is, I think is really significant, which is the idea that, for power at least, you, select, you can go in any order. You can select your own order to tackle the techniques. But if you don't break your first one, you're eliminated from the event. And... I have very mixed feelings on that one. I yeah, get I'm it. Not sure I get it. Like there's so many times when a person goes through all five techniques, fails all five, and it's like, well, you really weren't prepared for this event, were you? Um, a different solution in my mind for it, but that's besides the point. I think here, 
what what what's really sinking into me is that feeling of you've prepared you're going there that is your event so i'm going to do power breaking that's what i'm doing i'm traveling from let's say uh uruguay uh to spain to compete in uh, or to tampere in finland to compete in the world championships and i feel the one that breaks most consistently for training or for me in training is my uh my three board turning kick like that's that's locked in i feel pretty good about that uh but i'm aware that if i miss it i'm done that's my trip over i have one kick that will take less than a second to perform and i'm done and that for me that additional pressure knowing that that's it that's your one and only shot that you know you're out of it no matter how many boards you might have broken you're done that weighs with me i i, I don't love that um yeah especially when we just spoke about the idea of keeping people in the sport longer yeah i think that if you go there you miss that and you're out and you don't even get to attempt the other ones mm. that is a problem whereas you might go you might miss your first one which maybe for example your turning kick is a good one but for some reason it doesn't go yeah but then what if you break all the other four that's still a, a good experience to take from knowing that okay usually my turning kick is quite solid i just there was something that went wrong for me on the day yeah but now i have the other the other four are, are locked in and now there's something for me tangible to go and go work on and improve for the future it's like right that was my result now let's go and um and improve on that whereas you don't really get that experience of um using one technique if, it, if it's make or break for sure Pardon the pun. yeah 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 <laughs> it's a good one actually but they uh but leaving that aside i think that's one of the like it's not the biggest detail in this i think the addition of the two extra breaks for uh for a female and the two extra jumps for female I think that's massive. I think it's a really, really good experiment to take, um, you know, to, to try that out. Um, I, I think it would probably take a, a little bit of time to figure out what the board should be set at and what the height should be and whether those work across the, you know, across the board, junior and senior. But like, I'm really excited to see how that goes and to see, you know, that little bit of extra differentiation as well. Like so often the female ones, particularly special technique. So I've spent a lot of time at the side of the ring in special technique where it's okay and these six seven ladies went clear hit all three techniques in there now we have to get into the playoffs and really the playoffs uh, refocus that thing the the playoffs come down to um okay let's see who's here all right uh it's anna dobrovska okay turning kick she'll be very very happy it's uh ekaterina oh she'll be very happy if it goes to no pichagi oh it's louise she wants to be flying sidekick and you know it comes down to you know almost that lottery of which mm -hmm. technique is going to come out and how does that suit the other competitors there where having the five allows for a bit more differentiation at the first take that initial run through of the five techniques we should have more point scoring we should have a clearer number of people at the top hopefully we're seeing people through clear rounds and we're getting into tiebreakers again but at the same time there's more chance to show what you can do first yeah, I think you should bring it like the slam dunk contest in the NBA, where if it's a tiebreaker, you have to come up with a, a special technique, a oh, special, special technique. A special, special <laughs> tech, like bring it back to the way old school days of like, you stand there yeah, and you stand there and you stand there and I'm going to bounce off of you, that wall, and the, yeah, that would yeah. be, be good. Um, no, but some, some good ideas, and I think that if anybody yeah. is interested in uh, this side of things, check out our video with the Irish Cup review from last week. Adrian shared some very good ideas about what he thinks might be a solution to make um, special technique and power more engaging and also more exciting as well. 
So folks, that will be our chat for this week. Uh, we'll be going, well, I'll be going to the European Championships to enjoy hopefully coaching at ringside of the major championships for the first time in quite a while um definitely be bringing the ipad with me and record as much video as i can and all that in the the, the spare moments and uh it'll be great to have some fresh competition to discuss review and get our teeth into over the next couple of weeks so until next friday we will see you very very soon bye now see you in the next one